in the next three hours, you're going to learn how to swim. That's what I said to Alex and Aaron when they were about four years old. I was in the process of transitioning from the Air Force to civilian life again, and we were staying at the downtown Sheraton Hotel in St. Louis for a few days. And they had this beautiful, massive indoor swimming pool on the eighth floor of the hotel. And it was around noon one day, and, and Jill wanted to take a nap in the room. And we had another three hours before the next event of the day. And the pool was the best option for the boys and me to, sp to spend time while Jill took a nap. So Alex and Aaron couldn't swim. They had those little arm, you know, those little floaty things on the arm. Then one of them had popped. And I said, you know, I'm not going to go out and buy another set of these things. If we're going to spend the next three hours in this pool, you guys are going to learn how to swim. So here's how it went. I got in the pool, you know, right up to the edge. And Alex and Aaron stood at the edge of the pool. And I, I had them jump into my arms, right? Jump, I said. And they jumped into my arms. Put them back on the edge. The other one took their turn. Jump, jump into my arms, put them on the edge. Then I moved back a little bit. Jump. They jump into my arms, put them back on the edge, got a little farther, jump. Well, kept going out into the water until they could no longer jump directly into my arms. They had to jump into the water first. So they jumped into the water, and then I grab them, put them on the edge, jump into the water, grab them, move out a little further. Then they had to start treading water to get to me. But I still stood there with my arms out to catch them. And then as we started getting further out, when I'd catch them, I'd turn them around and push them so they'd had to tread water to get back to the edge to get up and do it again. Well, before you know it, I'm halfway out into the swimming pool. And they're jumping in and treading water and coming to me and I'm turning them around, pushing them back. Within 20 minutes, they had it down. They learned how to swim. Now, the little girl who was in the pool too with us and a little boy playing on the other side if I'd gone over to her as she was standing on the ledge and said, come on, jump, what do you think she would have done? She would have looked at me like, you know, who are you? You know, you stranger, get away from me. Isn't faith in Jesus something like that? Lent returns us to the basics of our faith. Last week we remembered Eve and her Husbands fall into sin and Christ's victory over the serpent, the deceiver. Today we get another set of foundational passages from the Bible about faith. God calls Abraham and Abraham listens and trusts and does what God says without question. Paul uses that Abraham narrative in his letter to the first Christians in Rome as a way to help them understand what it means to have faith in Christ. And then Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about things beyond our earthly realm in a way so that Nicodemus can see things through the eyes of faith and believing rather than pure rationalizing. These are some of the building blocks of faith. But just what is faith? Inquiring Lutherans always want to know. What is it? Or what does this mean? A colleague of mine who teaches up at Concordia Portland loves to ask 
his religion class that very question because of the answers that he gets. Many of the students who come from a Lutheran background, he finds, don't know what to answer when they're asked, what is faith? They don't know. They have no idea what faith is or what it means or at least how to articulate it, how to describe the the personal feeling of faith and what it does in their own life. Well, that's kind of sad if someone can't talk about faith, but isn't faith a lot like the swimming lessons I described? You believe, you trust, you go to the one who calls you, or you turn and go the other way in distrust because the person calling you is a stranger. It's hard for us to think of Jesus being a stranger, but millions do, you know. Well, here's what faith is not. Let's start with that. It's not a weak form of knowledge. I believe she said she wanted you to pick her up at 10 o'clock. What you're really saying there is, I'm not sure. Faith is more certain than that. Faith is not a a manipulation of God as if he were some divine gumball machine. You know, you don't insert your going to church or your good work coin into the machine so that out comes a reward like some kind of blessing or eternal life. It's not what faith is. Contrary to popular belief, faith is not an act of your will. And if you had the power within you to come to believe in Jesus as your Savior, well, that's, that's impossible, as Paul says. Instead of standing on a fork in the road for which we choose to go one way or the other, in reality, we're not able to choose the right way without outside intervention. It's such a misunderstood thing about faith by so many Christians who have it. They've been given it by God, but yet they believe they've created the faith. We've been given faith by the Holy Spirit. He makes faith in us. This notion of complete free will to choose faith over unbelief was made popular in the 13th century by monks who made nothing to do all day but focus on themselves and their own inner thoughts. And today this way of thinking about faith remains in some of the holiness churches in America who preach salvation by works. And faith is not just an intellectual agreement or assent to God. It's more than that. It's a a relational thing. You know, it exists within a relationship. Namely, a father and son or daughter relationship. The son or or daughter stands on the edge of the pool and jumps into the father's arms when called. He's caught her before, and in many situations when she was standing on the side. This is not a relationship that she made. She never said, oh, I think I'll conjure up a father and make him someone I can trust. Or she didn't locate a stranger and say, oh, I think I'll make that person my father. The father made the child and said, come to me. It's okay. Don't be afraid. He creates this relationship in our baptism and daily, continually, through the washing and the renewal of our souls, calls us every day to be His children. Every day for us is like a swimming lesson with Dad. 
He calls, we go to Him. Now, perhaps your dad never taught you to swim. Maybe he taught you to do something else. Ride a bicycle. Or jump down from a tree. Or down from something into which you put your trust in Him to catch you. But maybe your dad wasn't there for you for those things. Or worse, did the opposite and caused you harm. That's not the way it should have been. And that's no fault of your own. Sin causes relationships to be messed up sometimes from the very start. Perhaps your mother alone took on the role of someone to have faith in or perhaps another family member or friend. But God is the good father, always. He never leaves, never gets drunk, never hits, is never unfaithful, never ignores, or is never uncaring. Faith is a relationship in which God saves you and me It's not an equal sort of relationship either because you and I can't save ourselves. Only He can and will. And He does and He has. As a relationship then, faith can grow. It can become stronger. It took some coaxing at first to get Alex and Aaron to make that first jump off the edge of the pool into my arms. But by the 15th time, They jumped off the edge. They were laughing and screaming with joy. Their faith got stronger. Faith in me that I would be there for them to catch them, but also faith in that everything was going to be okay. You know, this whole thing works, and it's safe to jump in every time. And imagine if Jill and I had adopted Alex and Aaron. Now you have an even stronger picture of what it means to have faith in a person who is not a Jew. If you're a Jew and have faith in Jesus, you you are a child of God of the royal bloodline going all the way back to Abraham. The rest of us are adopted into the royal family but are just as much inheritors of the kingdom as any blood relative. And no matter if you are Jew or Gentile, everyone is called by God to be his child. Faith is trust. It's one thing to believe the airplane flies nonstop from Portland to Hawaii. It's another thing to buy the ticket and book the seat to get on it. We Lutherans sometimes avoid any talk of doing something when it comes to faith because we want to be clear and we want to be sure that we don't fall into error and believe that our works, our doing, saves us. They don't. But when you get down into the Details of faith, though, trust is something, it it is something that you and I do. We trust. Faith looks to God and expects that He will act in certain ways and our lives conform to those habits. I mean, our lives form habits based on those expectations of God's actions. In other words, you and I don't intentionally drive into oncoming traffic because we don't act in a way as if God were not there in our lives. I know that's an extreme example, but you get the picture, don't you? You know, we behave in a way that indicates that there is a God. Faith trusts the promises that God makes, and we act on them because we believe them. We believe Him. 
Faith is trust in the person who Jesus says he is. He is God. He is Lord of all. This is why we say we believe in Jesus, not that we just believe Jesus exists. Lots of people will tell you they believe Jesus existed, but is that the same thing as believe, you know, believing in him? Is it the same as trusting his every word, trusting he is who he says he is, that his promises are true? He is much more than just someone who existed. The little girl at the swimming pool could see I existed. Did that mean anything to her? No. She didn't know me. Acknowledging Jesus as a historical figure doesn't go far enough. It won't save. A relationship is necessary. Built on faith and trust. We confess God is for us. That's the whole message of the Bible. In these three words, God for us. That assumes, I mean, those very words assume there's a relationship going on here between God and us. Faith loves. Faith loves being relational. I can be in a relationship which are built upon animosity, ambition, Pride and competition. (laughs) That was my previous career. You can even be in relationships underpinned with anger, jealousy, and hatred. The demons know about God better than we do, but they don't love Him. So we can't say they have faith. Take notice here. Love for God is not the faith, but within the relationship made by God, love comes to us from Him and returns from us to Him. This is why we give a a portion of our hard-earned wages to God. We love and express that love in giving gifts to the one who loved us first. Faith seeks knowledge. Faith causes us to want to know more. It's a parallel with friendship. You know, when you were kids and you had friends, didn't you want to get to know them more? Didn't you spend time with each other and get to learn about each other more? Didn't you seek to grow your friendship? What about your spouse? Don't you want to know them more? I know we reach a point in our marriage where we're like, okay, I know everything about you. (laughs) What else? There's nothing to talk about anymore, right? But in reality, that is true. We want to get to know our spouse even more. And within the Christian framework of faith, God has an interest in you. He is genuinely interested in you as a person, as his child, even though he knows everything about you. He still desires a strengthening friendship and he works by his spirit to make that happen. Listen, I could go on, but I got to wrap this up. I know faith can be a hard thing to put into words. For me, the swimming lesson in St. Louis is Faith illustrated. For you, I hope you can relate, but maybe there's something you know, in your life that captures what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ that you can connect with. I'd like to hear about that someday. If Jesus is, stranger, is a stranger to you and faith and trust in Him is not something that you have, then I don't know. What is it about Him you don't like or trust? Why is he a stranger? 
Why don't you believe what he says? Nothing I say is going to convince you. A pastor doesn't create faith in the hearts of the people when it comes who come to church with his skillful preaching or lack thereof. <laughs> he can't. You can't. Only the Holy Spirit can, so maybe there's still time before it's too late. I've been thinking about the young man Pastor Kiesling told us about last Wednesday. The young man he confirmed in Montana who isn't so young anymore and apparently uh, isn't a Christian anymore. He's an atheist. Confesses to be an atheist. Is faith so fragile in, all, in any of us or all of us that we could just lose it at any time? Is it like when we hear on the news about a killer who goes on a rampage and in almost every instance the people who knew him say, oh, he was such a nice guy. You know, this isn't something I... He could never have done this. And it causes you to think, gee, can that happen to me? You know, can one day I just snap and become a crazed killer? Is faith like that? Can I lose my faith? I don't believe it's that simple or easy. I think there is a lot of culpability, one's own culpability in losing faith. We like to say faith in God is, is faith no matter what. And we don't like to judge and make measurements, out, 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 make measurements of it, but there is weak faith and strong faith. I mean, Jesus says so in the Bible, the parable of the seeds in the soil. Whatever yours is, whatever mine is, as people called out of darkness into light by God, let our trust and belief in Jesus endure. Endure and last till the end when we will all be together with all the saints who have gone before us in the faith. In heaven, with God, He will surely do it. He is Lord of all. Amen.